Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu, and what we do on this podcast is we take a piece of pop culture and we condense it so you find out more about it, but also you find out about the real history underneath it. And we pull all this together into one, usually 35 minute long podcast, to show you how either deliberately or inadvertently there's some real history in stuff like tv shows video games pop music etc it's a fun rush i hope you enjoy it and this time round, we're picking up on a podcast i did a little while ago but don't worry you don't have to have listened to that one although it'd be lovely if you listen to all of them and give them a review thank you very much but what we're talking about this time round is warhammer 40,000. so what does that mean? It means that we're probably not going to be able to do everything because the story around this game has been evolving for over 30 years, nearly 35 years. And it's a remarkable game that I sort of was with at the very beginning in 1987 and then went away and then came back to it about four years ago. So one of the things we're going to be talking about here is fascism. We're also going to be talking a bit about the Inquisition and the Catholic Church. Now, I I don't know how far we'll be able to get into all of this. And believe me, if, if you like this one, the point of these podcasts is to entertain and enjoy. And some of them seem to be more popular than others. So if this one tickles your fancy, if you'd like to know more, if you're a fan already of Warhammer 40k and you'd like to find out more about the real history underneath these sort of very fantastical elements, then... Tell me about it. Come on Twitter. I'm at Jem Daducci on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It'd also be great to spread the word because, let me put it this way, if this is the least listened to episode, we're not going to do any more on that. So if you want more, we need to know you want more, okay? Let's get on with it, shall we? I said a while ago, I, I told you the story about the invention of Games Workshop and this tabletop game, which evolved from... Prussian war games in the 19th century into this fantasy game called Warhammer Fantasy Battle, a Warhammer Fantasy. And that was very much beholden to kind of Lord of the Rings type stuff. We had armies of orcs and dwarves and 
elves, and there were some more fantastical elements that were clearly of their own ilk as it evolved. Things like Skaven, for example, which are kind of rat men. Well, that's nothing to do with Tolkien. And we also get the Chaos Gods, and that's got nothing to do with Tolkien. So it started becoming its own thing. Now, it ended up becoming heavily revamped in the late teens. Um, it basically, the old fantasy battle world was completely destroyed in the lore, and they introduced Warhammer Age of Sigmar. So basically a few people survived through one, but it's still, if you like, old world. It's still swords and bows and arrows and things like that. But it is now kind of its own thing. However, why my fantasy battle was so popular and indeed in the 1980s there was a huge amount of interest in things like dungeons and dragons which again traditional dragons swords bows and arrows magic but there were also a number of sci-fi things that were getting people interested. Obviously there are some great sci-fi movies from the 1980s, not just something like soft sci-fi like Back to the Future where it's still clearly in the real world but just there's this magical time machine. But also things like Aliens, which heavily influenced Warhammer, whether they want to admit it or not, or indeed Terminator. I'll be back. Where some of these elements were then evolved and changed and turned into elements of this new universe. But on top of that, you also have things like Judge Dredd from 2000 AD, a comic book character that was eventually turned into two different sci-fi action movies. I'm not going to go into that now, but the thing is, they were turned into role-play games. So they were games as well, and Games Workshop was creating the miniatures for this. So they were already doing some robots and mutants and weird sci-fi police officers. And there was also Traveller, and there was also paranoia. And so it goes on and on and on. If they were creating, if Games Workshop was co almost cornering the market in dragons and wizards and barbarians with swords, there was obviously the conversation of, well, why aren't we doing the sci-fi thing? And so what they did was, in essence, take a lot of the stuff from Warhammer Fantasy Battle. And indeed, the rules were pretty similar to begin with. But obviously, if you're going into a fantasy world and then into a sci-fi world, there's going to be a lot more guns and tanks and things like that. So that, if you like, was the big difference. But I remember on day one of the very first edition of Warhammer 40,000, called Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader, which is quite a different beast to what it is today. And it was mainly tabletop game, but clearly there were role-play elements to it as well. Like Dungeons & Dragons, if you like, there was a referee in Dungeons & Dragons called a Dungeon Master, explains everything. In this case, it was a Games Master who would literally just keep everything fine between the two sides fighting. And nowadays, that role's completely gone. There's a level of trust in the games, which is quite nice. It can be also quite annoying because it does mean that you're not quite sure what all the rules are of the other army. And so, to give you the basic setting. Warhammer 40,000 is, funnily enough, in, in 40,000 years in the future and a bit more, uh, we've got the Empire of Mankind. Now, what happened was, let's say about 20,000 years into the future, mankind's at the height of its technology. It starts spreading across the, the galaxy, all these different solar systems become colonies of humankind. 
and then there's a sort of dark time where there's there seems to be some kind of civil war and also alien invasions and things like that and this this period of great prosperity is thrown into anarchy and then this superhuman human called simply the emperor we don't have his name this is if you like one of the problems about things like Star Wars, where we start you know, Emperor Palpatine, it's all like, is Palpatine particularly cool? And then we suddenly find out that, oh, he was just like a senator and we get to see him. He comes from a place called Naboo. And yeah, so there, there's, we suddenly, the more we know about the background, the, the less impressive they are. And there's still an awful lot of mystery shrouded the Emperor. Even if we got more information, he's still quite mysterious and we still don't have a name for the Emperor of Mankind. But what he does is he pulls together all the warring tribes of planet Earth and puts them under one banner. And then, I'm cutting a long story short here, he sets off on what's referred to as the, the Great Crusade, where basically he spreads, he reunites all these planets of humanity underneath his banner. And he's got these sort of genetically engineered children, they're called the Primarchs. And each one of these Primarchs leads a Space Marine Legion. Now, I, I, you can see how this is going to evolve, evolve, evolve into bigger and bigger things. Cutting a long story short, just when everything's unified, there's then a civil war when one of the key Primarchs, the, the Emperor's favorite son, called Horus, rebels. And now we've got a huge fight. And basically, he's fallen to the Dark Forces, which in this universe is called Chaos. And they have a huge fight. Horus is slain, but the Emperor is so mortally wounded that he has to be sort of locked into this hermetically sealed chamber, the, the throne. And he has been sitting there for 10,000 years. And he is powerfully, powerfully psychic. But I'm not just talking about, like, moving books across a table. He is got almost godlike powers. And nowadays, in the Warhammer 40,000, if you are trying to be a spaceship traveling through hyperspace, which is called the warp, then you could get horribly lost. But because the Emperor has got this sort of central beacon, almost like a lighthouse of psychic power, I, I, again, if you know your stuff, you know I'm skimming over this, but uh, look, this could be a 17-hour-long podcast just to set the scene, all right? But the point is that the Emperor of Mankind is immobile, bar, he's basically die, dead, dying, call it what you will, but he's been dying for 10,000 years. And what we've got is an empire that's sort of shaken. What's really interesting about Warhammer 40,000, this was said by one of the writers, there are loads and loads of books around this. I would argue... One of the great things slash one of the worst things about Warhammer 40,000 is the sheer quantity of books that come out. Now, I remember back in the late 80s when Games Workshop decided to start launching actual books. So not only could I buy and paint these miniatures and play games with them, but I could find out their names. I could find out the, the world that they lived in. But at that time, the tempo of book releases was like one a month. Maybe there might be two or three a quarter. They weren't set up for a huge plowing out of information. Whereas today, each week, there is a release of at least two books. Now, maybe one of them's not Warhammer 40,000. Maybe one of them's for that Age of Sigma that I told you about. But basically, if anybody wants to be totally on top of the storyline of both these games, you won't have time to read anything else. 
there is just too much out there. Some of it's better than others, but I would argue that less is more. I mentioned the Horus heresy, you know, when Horus rose up against the emperor and there's this huge battle in the civil war. That's over 50 books long. The big climactic fight when Horus arrives back in the solar system and does the final showdown on planet Earth, that's nine books. Nothing needs... No Lord of the Rings was three books. There just doesn't need to be that many books. There is a point when you... I, I, I gave up on, on the Horus Heresy books because there are some books where literally you're reading what the person's reading in their book and it's like, could we just get on with the plot, please? Anyway, what one of the writers said is one of the beautiful things, and I would agree with them, is that the thing about Star Wars is it's pretty obvious who the good guys are and the bad guys are. Now, I've mentioned the Emperor of Mankind. So there's the humans, and they're under the Empire. Then there are the humans who've been corrupted by the Dark Forces, the Chaos, and they can be split into four different factions because there's four different Chaos Gods. But they're, if you like, the heretics who absolutely hate the Empire, the Imperium of Man. And then there are alien races. There are basically Terminators, but nobody likes to say that. But basically these sort of like living metal robot things called Necrons. And they've been around for millions of years and they've only recently woken up again. So they just sort of popping up on planets that have been inhabited by humans for thousands of years. Like, what are these things? And they start killing them. Then there are the Tyranids who just come out from another galaxy and they just arrived in this galaxy. And they're basically the aliens from Aliens. They're just lots of bioweapons. Think of lots of slathering, teethy, clory, ooh, chitinous armory bits. Ugh. And they're they're almost like sharks or aliens in the sense that they're just out to get you. You know, they're just there to eat rather than you can't negotiate with them or anything like that. Then there are the Tau, which very much look like, if you know what, Japanese anime robots look like. Think Gundam. They're, that's what they look like. They're quite a young race. They live kind of on the edge of the galaxy. And they're all about peace and love with each other, the greater good. However, what turns out to be the case is that there may be some manipulation going on here. And they might not, they might think it's free will, but it might not be free will. They might be kind of slaves to the overlords of the Tau. Then there are the orcs. Think sort of Lord of the Rings type orcs. They're just looking for a fight. They just love fighting everything. They go on huge campaigns called wargs. And they're, they're, if you like, they're the only ones having fun in Warhammer 40,000, but they are supremely violent. And then there are the Eldar, the Eldari. They're the elves, the space elves. There's either the sort of normalish ones. And then there are the dark Eldar, the Drukhari. And they sort of are like pirates and sort of capture people and torture them. Not very nice. And the Eldar are just overall quite arrogant and quite aloof from everything else. There are many, many sort of like human sections, but I think I've just covered the main lot, okay? I've given you a good overview. But what one of these writers said, and this is one of the appealing bits of Warhammer 40,000, is everybody's wrong. Because if you look at humanity, it's like, well, we're humans. Let's back the humans. The humans aren't exactly the good guys. If a planet is being taken over by, let's say, those Tyranids, those sort of alien things, if it looks like the entire planet's going to fall and that these aliens could then move off onto another planet, the solution is nuke it. Um, exterminatus, it's called, where basically a huge fleet of spaceships from the Imperium will turn up and from the orbit just bombard it with like virus bombs and nukes and mega weapons that we can't even understand today. 
it does make you the good guy when you sort of, without hesitation, commit genocide, all right? Each one of these factions, you're encouraged to kind of see their point of view, but at the same time, they're wrong. And nobody can win this situation, which is, makes for a good game because nobody ever gets the upper hand and so on and so forth. But it also means that if I'm fighting this other guy over here, it doesn't mean they're more right than me. Like I say, the probably the Tyranids, the purest ones, they're just out to eat. But then there's the Orcs who are just out to fight. Might is right, if you like. And you can absolutely argue that with humanity, there's a reason for this fascism and there's a reason for an inquisition. Now, I want to be quite clear about this because there are some people who, because they sort of fall for space marines, which are these sort of armor-plated, genetically enhanced warriors, who I mentioned the space marine legions with their Primarch leaders, although most of the Primarchs are dead now, who are utterly loyal to the Emperor. They are the poster boy, literally, of Warhammer 40,000. And their cool armor and their epic exploits of bravery, they could be seen as good guys, but they are very deliberately dripping in eagle iconography and militarism. They are fascists. And what I mean by fascist is militaristic, okay? I think sometimes nowadays, if somebody just doesn't have left-wing views, they're just seen as fascists. Like, no, no, you're allowed different political opinions. And quite frankly, and the interesting thing is, if you get go too far right, you end up with Hitler and the Nazis. If you go too far left, you end up with Stalin and all the bad things that happened there. And if you like, what Warhammer 40,000 has done is taken these extremes and that's really what humanity's fallen into. And that's not unrealistic because the problem with fascism is simply this. Life should be about more pleasant things than fighting. We should not be trying to see whether might is right. The weak should be crushed. All these things are very outmoded ideas and not to be encouraged. And if anybody starts talking about these things, I would politely disagree, but also want to sort of try and engage and point out why these things are wrong. Also, similarly, with a lot of this stuff, you get racial ideas. And there is definitely literal xenophobia, as in fear of the alien. Because if you've got a Tyranid trying to eat your face off, there's a very good reason to dislike that creature in this particular game. So you can see that if you want to start layering on politics, it's problematic. But that's because this stuff was created in the 1980s, way before the internet, way before cancel culture, way before you get weird extremist groups jumping onto social media and trying to hijack things. It was meant to be, if you like, a clever nod to this stuff, a bit like with Judge Dredd when he was created in the late 70s and sort of really evolved in the 1980s. Again, it was a clever nod to sort of the Dirty Harry fascist cop kind of thing, which again has been taken way, way out of context nowadays in the era of social media. This stuff probably wouldn't be invented now, but here we are with it. And so fascism is a horrible, terrible thing, unless <gasps> when I was talking about sort of like fighting and fighting the enemy and things like that, if you are fighting literally a horde of tyranids, there can be no negotiation. There can be the argument that the reason why humanity has become so cruel is from self-preservation. If you want to go to World War II, there is absolutely no doubt that the Nazis perpetrated horrific war crimes there, and we absolutely should have done everything to destroy the Nazi war machine. 
But it is worth remembering our ally was Joseph Stalin, who in the big scheme of things ended up killing more of his own people than Hitler did. And I really do believe that Hitler and Stalin need to be put into the same category as each other. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's, you know, they're both despicable individuals. It's just the difference is, is the whole world agrees that Adolf Hitler was evil, whereas there's been an attempt to kind of reconstruct. And because the Soviet Union lasted for decades after the World War II conclusion, then Stalin was pushed to the side for a time and then forgotten about and then kind of been resurrected. You know, well, Russia needs a strong leader. Well, he wasn't Russian for starters, and he did kill most of the officer corps just before World War II. You know, the man was not a great man. But at the same time, only Russia could suffer millions of casualties and prisoners of war and thousands of tanks and airplanes to be destroyed. And tens of thousands of square miles of territory captured and still win through sheer bloody mindedness. That is a very Soviet slash Russian way of doing things. And that's kind of the attitude of humanity during Warhammer 40,000. So make no mistake about it. If somebody's standing there with their wonderful display of cool looking Primaris space marines, that looks great, but they're not the good guys even if I do have a huge pile of horrible slavering tyrannid beasties with more tentacles and teeth than they have heads. <laughs> so that's the base point. Amongst all this, you've got, if you like, the regular troops. They're called the Imperial Guard. And they've got commissars. Now, commissar is very specifically a term, a political officer in the Soviet army, in the Red Army, from the 1920s pretty much till the end of the Soviet Union. 
And they were an unusual class. And this is where we're going to start linking commissars to the Inquisition, which is literally an organization in the Imperium of Man in Warhammer 40,000. But it's actually separate to the commissars. But the commissars, if you like, are the Diet Coke version of the Inquisitors. More on them in a moment. So the commissars in Warhammer 40,000 are exactly like the commissars, really, of the Soviet Union. I mentioned the Space Marines. They're the cool ones in the armor. And it's, it is worth pointing out that there's been a lot of evolution over the last 30 years. Interestingly, unlike something like Star Wars or Star Trek, there hasn't exactly been retconning. Retconning is where you go back and say, oh, that thing that we wrote about 10 years ago, actually, that's wrong. Here's the reality. I'll give you perhaps the most famous retcon that you might not know about. You might think of Batman, and I say, who's his butler? And you'll go, Alfred. And I go, how long's Alfred known Batman? You go, oh, well, you know, when his parents were killed, Alfred was already the butler, and he looked after Batman throughout his childhood. And that's the way it's been for about 40 years. But the very first time Alfred was introduced in the Batman comics, the two had never met before. He was a butler who'd come over from England, who was being chased by some robbers. He was also quite chubby, rather than the sort of tall, spindly guy that you've got in your head right now. I assume that as you're taking on the underworld, this symbol is a persona to protect those you care about from reprisals. You think about Rachel? Actually, sir. And indeed, Alfred, by the time of the 1960s Adam West Batman, he'd actually been killed off in the comics. So to begin with, he arrives and he's just a character in a Batman comic. And then later on, he's turned into the butler. And then he was actually killed off. And then he was brought back again because he was so popular from the Adam West 60s Batman thing. So lots of different changes to Alfred there over the years. And so it's the same thing kind of with the Space Marines. Now, I mentioned the Legions. I don't want to get into all of this. They got split up into chapters, but basically they got very distinct personalities and styles. And today you've got things like the Ultramarines, which heavily look like Romans. And then you've got the White Scars, which are heavily leaning into the Mongols. And then you've got the Space Wolves, which are heavily leaning into the Vikings. That's the thing. However, interestingly, very early on, the Dark Angels were very much linked with Native American culture. I mean, they're literally drawings where they've got the kind of ponytails and the hair and the feathers. And although they're wearing sort of space armor, they're clearly part of this group. This is their proud tradition. That's been eradicated. They've been whitewashed into white guys again. That's a sort of weird and wonderful thing. But each legion or chapter, sorry, I should say chapter, has their own personality and style. There's the blood angels, which are essentially vampires, but they're on our side. They're the good guys in inverted commas, but just don't get near them when they're hungry. All right. So yeah, so these are genetically engineered men. They are superior to humans, normal humans in every possible way. They're about nine foot tall. They're encased in this armor, which has got all these sort of technical cool bits. It's very obviously very thick armor, but it allows them to still move very quickly. It's got targeters in it. They can breathe toxic gas and all this kind of stuff. But in the original, as I've said, you know, already there's been some changes, but also I remember reading in the very first edition that when a space marine was created genetically enhanced, he was sealed into his armor and he was never able to take it off. And indeed, if you look at pictures of what Space Marines were like and what the world was like in the first edition, it's very different to today. For example, you've got guys with camouflage on. Now, the Marines just don't wear camouflage anymore. Now, that sounds weird, like the Imperial Frists are bright yellow, uh, but the idea is we're such powerful warriors, we're not scared, we're not going to hide, we're just going to come at you. While you're busy trying to hit me as I move so quickly, I'm hitting you because I'm far more accurate, so I don't need camouflage. But there 
there were guys in camouflage, there were guys with bandanas on and, and so on and so forth. And basically the vibe was like normal soldiers, almost like Vietnam, but with space suits on, cool armor on. And that's all changed. That's all very much changed over the years. But this is the thing. They say that there's nothing being retconned, but what it is, is that everybody is a narrator that might be getting things wrong. This is just their point of view. This is their fragment of information of the time. And therefore you're going to have to accept that there are inconsistencies, as there are genuinely when you're reading through history. You can read one chronicle which tells you that the battle was really, really close. And then you get another chronicle which definitely agrees on the date of the battle, but said that it was a crushing victory for their side. And then you have to work out which one's right. There's no guarantee that one side's more right than the other, so maybe you're going to have to look at what happened next. If this crushing victory led to a stalemate immediately afterwards, maybe it wasn't quite as crushing as they said it was. So anyway, the idea of creating historically dubious sources is a really clever one, but also allows them to write their way out of any particular problems. One of the things that they do do is they point out that, you know, the Space Marines are one thing, but the Imperial Guard, or the Astra Militarum as they're called now, is the normal humans. And they are cannon fodder, much like the Soviet Army. And they've got commissars who make sure that nobody starts wavering. They are the political officers to try and indoctrinate the people. Any kind of sort of pushback, probably going to be executed on the spot, by the way. Again, much like the Soviets in World War II. For example, in World War II, for a long period of time, it's one of the few times in all of history where there were two front lines. Basically, there was the frontline Soviet soldiers fighting the Germans, and then behind them, the Soviet soldiers, there was a second line of Soviet soldiers run by the commissars, which were better equipped and had orders to shoot any man who retreated. This is terrible and disgusting and a complete waste of life. But this is how the Soviet Union managed to grind the Nazi war machine to a halt. It is worth remembering as incredibly brave and uh, epic the Battle of D-Day was, or the invasion of Sicily. At any given point in World War II, the Wehrmacht and German forces always had two-thirds of their army out east. So if the Soviet Union had buckled and collapsed in, let's say, 1942, well, you would have had two-thirds more forces waiting for Allied soldiers on D-Day. And it was close on D-Day. So with two-thirds more forces, we would have lost. So this sort of necessary evil of allying ourselves with the Stalin was important, as it is in Warhammer 40,000. But then we've got the Inquisition, which, as I said, is an actual organisation. And there really has been, and kind of still is, an Inquisition of the Catholic Church. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition! It was created in the Middle Ages, in actually the 1100s, and was designed to root out heresy. Now, what is heresy exactly? It's a concept that really only exists in Europe. There's a sort of heresy in Islam, but it's quite different. And indeed, when you get to something like Hinduism or Buddhism, it, it's a word that just doesn't make any sense to a believer of those religions and groups. So the idea is this, if you've got a central authority of your religion, i.e. in the Catholic faith, that would be the Pope in Rome, every interpretation of the Holy Scriptures by the Pope are the right interpretations. So the Inquisition was created in the Middle Ages by the Catholic Church. And the idea is it was protecting the agreed interpretations of the religious texts. And if you were to go against those, in other words, the religious texts are the same. 
between both Protestants and Catholics, okay? But if the Pope says you need to read it this way, and this is the conclusion, and you come up with a different point of view, then you're wrong in the eyes of the papacy, in the eyes of the Catholic Church. And the name for somebody who is wrong is a heretic. And that had serious consequences in the Middle Ages and beyond. And what would happen is an inquisitor would arrive. This joke about the Monty Python, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, that's not true. You expected the Inquisition because they would arrive and they would declare that they're holding court. And the way the Inquisition worked, and it was a genius idea, is like, let's say you are charged with heresy. Well, you'd be taken to the court and you'd be questioned. Pretty much everything you know about courts is stacked against you in this situation. You are probably going to be found guilty. But there is a way out. If you can name some of your co-conspirators, you'll get off lightly and then we'll move on to them. So it was a genius way. So I might accuse you because I don't like you and I want to see you fail, but because you have now been put in a tough situation, you know I was the guy who put you in this situation. So you're gonna say I'm one of your co-conspirators and we both go down. And the Inquisition was feared in the Catholic realms for centuries. You have three last chances. The nature which I have divulged in my previous utterance. I don't know what you're talking about. Right! Hmm. If that's the way you want it, Cardinal, hmm. poker with the soft cushion. <laughs> now, it has this reputation of torture and death and execution. And the way you would execute a heretic is you would burn them. Because the idea was this, that you you weren't gonna to go to heaven, but maybe if we burned you, all those flames and soot going up into the sky, maybe, just maybe, we give you a chance to go to heaven. We're being nice burning you alive. I know that's insane. The point around this is that it was a, a very feared institution. It lasted, well, like I say, it evolved. It still technically exists. It's not called the Inquisition anymore, but it is something which still looks after the, the credo, the belief system of the Catholic faith. Nobody gets executed anymore. Now, in the big scheme of things of what was happening in the Renaissance world or medieval world, the numbers of deaths from the Inquisition have been grossly exaggerated. Look, killing any one person for their belief is wrong, but we're talking about over 500 years, a few thousand people, which I think you can work out that's not even one battle. So it, it was bad, but it probably wasn't as bad as you remember it. Although saying that though, the last person to actually get executed by the Inquisition, technically the Inquisition never actually executed the people, they're actually priests. So they always got lay people to do the dirty work for them. I'm just being technical here. They were actually executed in the 1800s. They were a Spanish school teacher who was teaching deism. I'm not gonna go into that now, but yeah, that's at a time where you probably thought the Inquisition didn't exist anymore. So, the Inquisition in Warhammer 40,000 is basically exactly the same thing. They're there not to defend really a religion, but more the imperial religion. Nobody in Warhammer 40,000 is Christian or Buddhist or anything like that. If you're in the empire, you believe in the emperor himself. And therefore, anybody who starts saying, oh, you know, the emperor is not as good as he said he is or, or whatever. If you don't have an eagle with two heads on it above your door or that kind of stuff, if you don't pray to the emperor, I mean, literally, I love this. The tech priests, they fix things, but they also keep hanging sort of religious iconography 
off machines. So it's sort of like part prayer, part incense, part actually getting a spanner out and starting to deal with machinery. What a wonderful idea. They kind of only half understand the technology they've been put in charge of. So there is this kind of religious belief that happens there. And if you were to sway off it, then the Inquisition's going to come and very bad consequences could happen. I said early on that entire planets have been destroyed through exterminatus. Inquisitors could actually carry out exterminatus without any kind of alien threat, but just said, These, this entire planet seems to be riddled with her heresy. We have no idea who's the heretics and who aren't, but there's too many heretics here. Just destroy the entire planet. Which is a terrifying idea and is, again, a reinforcement that they are not the good guys. But saying that... In this fantasy world that's been created, if you stop believing in the Emperor and you start believing in those dark gods, they're real actual gods with real actual demons that could burst out of the warp and start eating people's faces across the planet. There is genuine threat there. And again, once again, being this harsh, but stopping a temporal rift where demonic entities come in and start sucking people's souls out of their noses, there might be a very good reason to stop the heresy at that point. So what you can see is that there is a lot of history that's been overlaid. Now, I haven't I mentioned it in passing, but I went into no detail. I mentioned the Great Crusade and there are crusades happening all the time in Warhammer 40,000. I'm happy to go in a little bit more detail about that if you like this one. Again, what I'm going to keep saying is this. If you like this one, I'm happy to do more on the world of Warhammer and Games Workshop. I like it. There's certainly lots to talk about there. But if this isn't getting the, the listening numbers, there's not much point doing any more. So please, please, if you like this one, let me know. Spread the love. Tell other people about it. Give it a review. All this stuff is really important so we can work out what sort of stuff do you want to hear. As always, there'll be a different podcast on a different topic coming out pretty soon. And I hope you stay safe. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.